This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Uh, Today, I will be joined by uh, one of the biggest names in politics in New Jersey and across the nation, United States Senator Cory Booker. And I'm going to ask Senator Booker about the vacancy on the U.S. Supreme Court, about the uh, situation in Ukraine, uh, even about the 2025 New Jersey governor's race. So you are going to want to hear this. And I will also speak to a man whose own storied political career is directly connected to Senator Booker's own rise to power. That man is Sharp James. He was the mayor of Newark, New Jersey's largest city for 20 years, before his retirement paved the way for Cory Booker to run for mayor. Sharp James is 85. He has been a major player in New Jersey politics for more than 50 years. Now he's considering running for office again. And I'll tell you this, if Sharp James can get on the ballot, I think he's got an excellent chance to win this election. Uh, The 2002 Newark mayoral race between Cory Booker and Sharp James. I mean, this was one of the epic political campaigns in New Jersey history. It's, it's the only race Cory Booker ever lost. And a documentary of this campaign, it was Marshall Curry's Street Fight. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, and, and by the way, the race between a young, idealistic city councilman, Cory Booker, and a four-term incumbent, it, it helped Cory Booker become a national brand. His loss set up the rest of his career. And sometimes, of course, not always, but sometimes candidates win big by losing once. So former Mayor Sharp James and after that, U.S. Senator Cory Booker, you are not going to want to miss this, everybody. So let's talk about this week. Uh, because this was a great week in Jersey politics. It was Map Week, and everybody in Jersey politics loves Map Week. Democrats and Republicans each submitted uh, their first round of legislative map proposals. This was our, our initial glimpse into what the political parties might be looking to do. Uh, Let's be clear about one thing. We're just seeing shapes and some blurry outlines of what the new map's going to be, what redistricting we'll have in store for the state legislature uh, for the remainder of the decade. But this is not going to be the map. This is not going to be what it looks like, but it's a good starting point. And you can see the maps on the New Jersey Globe. You could read some Truly magnificent analysis by our reporter Joey Fox at NJGlobe.com. Uh, but remember, these won't be the maps. Just the starting off point. And for, for both parties, it was, it was very much a, uh, I'll show you mine if you show me yours type of a deal. Uh, so there was a fair amount of, of psychology involved. The independent tiebreaker, former Judge Phil Karchman, he looks to be doing everything right, at least for now. And, and hopefully he'll continue down that course. So far, I think he will. Uh, One of the things that Judge Karchman decided to do was release the first submission so that the public would have a chance to offer feedback. And and that is a different way than than poor Justice John Wallace, the independent tiebreaker at congressional redistricting. It's a different way than the way he handled things. Uh, The public had 
no glimpse of what was going on. Uh, that was John Wallace's call. Nobody saw any early submissions or, or even the final submission until Wallace made his decision. I mean, it was just minutes before the redistricting commission was set to vote is when we saw the maps. And, and so I'll play Captain Obvious for a, a minute and explain the goals of each side. Democrats have a majority in both houses of the legislature, and, and they want to keep it that way. So their map safeguards their incumbents. It protects the seats they already have, and then they look for a few opportunities here and there to pick up uh, a couple more seats. Republicans submitted an astonishingly aggressive map. It, it creates a, a, a path to a majority if the stars in the in the universe all align in a perfect year. But to do that, Republicans proposed a, a huge number of competitive districts. They got there by putting some of their own incumbents in, in tough races. I'm calling this. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I, I I can't really say what I'm calling this on the on on, on the radio. But but this is. Uh, I'll, I'll tone it down. This is just a map where where the Republicans have just had enough, and they and they don't want to they don't want to be in the minority anymore. The Democrats have been in the majority for for 20 years, and and there's some Republicans in New Jersey who are of the opinion they should just go for the gold. They should just give themselves a possibility of winning, even if it's just a slim possibility. That they'd rather go down big than than just toil in the in the the weeds of the minority they'd rather deplete their numbers trying and taking a chance to be in the majority than just be in the minority party in in perpetuity and and i i've been on the minority side i've been on the majority side and again i'll i'll, I'll be captain obvious the the majority is better uh you know it i know it the democrats know it the republicans know it and I mean, in terms of what you can get done in Trenton, uh, I mean, the, the the difference between being in the in the majority and being in the minority is it's like the difference between reading the New York Times and the Star Ledger. Uh, so, if Republicans want to lead, they need to take some risks and they need to win some elections. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm talking about legislative redistricting on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, as many of you have heard me say, this is my sixth decade that I'm watching maps. This is the, the fifth decade that I've been involved, either as a staffer on the inside or as a journalist watching it. And one of the things that just amazes me over and over every decade as I watch the redistricting process play out is just how frightened elected officials are about actually running in elections. I mean, everybody, the good lawmakers and the, and the well, the, the not-so-good legislators, just about everybody wants a safe seat. So what you see these days are senators and state assembly members. They're pushing for an easier race for themselves. Uh, so many of them just want a good district so they don't have to fight to get reelected. And I don't know why so many people in politics are, are, are just, just so incredibly frightened of an election that they take extraordinary steps to avoid having the voters sit in judgment of them. Uh, now, I mean, to be... I guess to be sure, there's there's a lot of legislators who got to Trenton the hard way. There's a lot of them who have taken risks to win and to get reelected, at least early in their careers. Some have different circumstances than others. Some have it tougher than others. You know, you get a guy like Senator Vin Gopal in Monmouth County. I mean, he's never going to be in a safe district. He's a Democrat in a Republican county, and he's won. But it's never going to be easy for him. Uh, 
some legislators flipped competitive districts at one point in their life, and and others were just the beneficiary of good districts where their party can't lose. And you, you can't be afraid to run for office, to put your record in front of the electorate and let them make their choice. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'll give you one example. And there's, there's nothing wrong with this legislator other than it's an example of, of the circumstances of a good district. Uh, Shirley Turner is a senator from Mercer County. And today, Mercer's a Democratic stronghold. There's not a single Republican holding a partisan local elected office there. Republicans haven't won a countywide race there in 22 years. Before that, elections were competitive. So when Senator Turner ran for freeholder, it was almost 40 years ago, she won a tough race. And when she ran for the state legislature, uh, this was this was Almost 30 years ago, she unseated a Republican incumbent. Uh, now, that district was drawn in the 1980s. I remember it. I was around for that. that and it was drawn to be Democratic. And, and, and at least at the time, it, it included the city of Trenton. It still has Trenton. Uh, it had Princeton. It had Lawrence. It was, it was a Ewing. It was a Democratic district. It only elected a Republican in a wave election when when voters had enough with Governor Jim Florio after he raised taxes $2.8 billion. So four years later, Shirley Turner flips the state Senate seat. She beats an, a formidable Republican incumbent who had ridden the wave, uh, but he just couldn't withstand the Democratic leanings of, of that district anymore. So, so let's just jump ahead. Here we are, 2022. Shirley Turner, she's now 80 years old. She's been in the legislature. I mean, was she there... She's in her 28th year, 24 of them in the Senate. She's never had a real primary challenge in a safe Democratic district. She's never dipped below 60% in the general election. She, she was reelected last year, eighth term, 72%. So to win, all Shirley Turner's got to do is get her name on the ballot and make sure that she doesn't piss off her local Democratic Party. And she continues to, she continues to raise money even though she doesn't need to spend a dime. And we can call that a rainy day fund. And I'm, I'm not saying that Senator Turner has done anything wrong. I'm just saying that she, when she votes on a bill, she doesn't have to worry what the voters think as much as other senators do. She is unencumbered with public opinion because she is in a safe district. And there's a difference between senators who who are in competitive races. Jean Stanfield, I mean, she just won last year. She has to worry if she votes the wrong way or says the wrong thing, her career could be over. So there are there are senators all over the place. Ed Durr, who flipped a, a seat against Steve Sweeney. Joe Lagana in Bergen County wins a blue-collar district that could flip in a bad year. Uh, so I'll say this. Elected officials shouldn't be so worried about voters in elections. It shouldn't be so terrible for a candidate to have to work hard for your votes uh, for politicians, campaigns shouldn't be so scary. Uh, I will be right back to talk to the incredibly entertaining, and whether you like him or not, the larger-than-life former mayor of Newark, Sharp James. So stay right where you are. You will not want to miss Sharp James. And later I'll speak with United States Senator Cory Booker. Uh, we're going to talk about some incredibly important issues that are facing the nation and the world. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. Sharp James is a legendary figure in New Jersey politics. He spent 20 years as the mayor of Newark. It's it's New Jersey's largest city. Mayor James, welcome. My pleasure. Beautiful day. It is. Thank you for coming on. And, and Mayor, I mean, you first won office in Newark. I mean, it was back in 1970. It was a time of of racial unrest. It was it was a few years after the riots. It wasn't an easy time for a black candidate to win an election. I mean, you have witnessed a lot of history, haven't you? Oh yes, that was the 1970 Black and Historical Puerto Rican Convention that gave us Kenneth Allen Gibson. Uh, on that day, we danced in the street, and he said. Wherever American cities are going, Newark will get there first. And you were elected mayor in 1986. I mean, you and I both became Essex County mayors the same year, and you were, you you lasted a lot longer than I did. You were you were there 20 years. <laughs> I had more scars than you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you you did, but but you but you also had you had some good things going for you. You you beat Cory Booker in a in a race that had national attention and. I mean, now, 16 years after you left office, you're you're thinking about a comeback as a candidate for city council, right? Well, yes, there are five vacancies in the 2022 Newark municipal election. Five vacancies. That's, all, that's a majority in city council. Now it's down to four because Eddie Osborne at large is going to run. As a homeowner, taxpayer, we're sitting here with 38 years of legislative and administrative experience. I feel obligated to lend my support, to give something back to the city that I love and that adopted this poor boy from Jacksonville, Florida. Now, I'm speaking with Sharp James, the former mayor in Newark. And, and Mayor, I, I know you like it when people are just direct and, and to the point. Uh, mayor, you you went to prison for two years, and a judge no, 18 said— 18 months. 18, 18 months. months. <laughs> I remember every day. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. And, and, and But a judge said you could never hold public office again. How how can you run for the city council? No, the judge didn't say that. That's the wrong word. The attorney general went into court and, and, and said because uh, he was convicted of corruption and steering property and benefited and material benefit, he can never hold a job of public trust. But, David, when you make an accusation, it must withstand the test in a court of law. And in the district court, Judge, the Honorable Judge William J. Martini ruled, so all that in the waste paper basket. He didn't steer. He didn't set the price. But because he knew the contractor and didn't disclose that information, in this one instance, it's a deprivation of honest services. And that went to the Supreme Court, you know, in the Jeffrey Skillings case. And then it went to the Third Circuit Court where we first went. And they said, we will wait for the ruling of the Supreme Court. And they rule no such thing as a catch-all honest service crime unless it has two acts with it. Acts of embezzlement or taking a bribe, both lacking in my trial. So what's going to happen, Mayor, when you, you walk into the City Clerk Lewis's <laughs> office and you hand him your petitions and you're going to get thousands of signatures? I'm sure of that. I'm what? trying. I'm out there. It's a day-to-day process, and I appreciate that. I love the citizens of Newark, and, and many remember that this is the individual who brought the New Jersey Reforming Arts Center to Newark. This is the one who brought Society Hill. This is the one who uh, award-winning Society Hill, the James Gibson Aquatic Center. You could go on and on. Uh, uh, housing. Uh, uh, so Prudential Center, all of that, 30,000 jobs, new school, a new shopping mall. 
Newark had a sharp change. So when I walk in, if I get the petition, they can put handcuffs on me again. They can deny it, but then we'll go into court, David. And so that's you'll go to court. And you'll... That's the American way. Though I, I think they're going to they're going to say we can't accept your petitions because the what the attorney general went before a, a superior court judge. That's uh, in front and, of me now. And she's she signed the, the judge signed the order. Uh, I don't remember what judge it was, but but the judge signed the order saying you can't run. Now a lot's happened. You had that the McDonald case. The day, day. Indictment and conviction is a mere allegation. What happens in the next court? What happened in the, in, 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 in the district court? No one quotes Judge Martini. What happened in the Third Circuit Court of Appeal? What happened in the Supreme Court? You can't go back to 208 and ignore what happened in 209, 2010. You can't do that. Everyone, everyone is entitled to appeal a sentence that they feel is wrongful. How many people do we read are let out of jail after 20 years, 15 years? Innocent. Hello? So this is going to, this will this will wind up, I think, in court, right? I mean, this will, some... Some judge somewhere is going to have to say whether Sharp James can can have a chance to run for office again. My lawyer will be in court, yes. Okay. Now, Mayor, and I'm speaking with, with, with the former mayor of Newark, Sharp James. I mean, you, you remain incredibly popular. I mean, I've, I've heard that when you walk down the street, people, people still cheer for you. They're, they're still yelling, Sharp, Sharp. And, I mean, there's, there's, some other names, too, <laughs> I know, I know. But you're 85, so you've got a lot of these, these battle wounds. I mean, I, I think if you run and you get on the ballot, you can win. Well, we'll see, Dave. Uh, Dave, Dave, the question I said, Mayor Sharp, when did you believe, realize you're no longer mayor? When I got in the back seat of the car and it didn't move. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, uh, mayor, I want to ask you a question. Last again, you, sure. you you said be direct with you. Last Saturday night, you were involved in a car accident. What happened? That was a very unfortunate mechanical failure by the car. I just missed the bus by about two feet. Uh, I'm only talking to you today through the, the God's benevolence that I live today. Hey, two feet and I would have been dead. I mean, hey, cars uh, act up sometime. And on this unfortunate incident, the car acted up. But, of course, people said he was under the influence. They took me to the hospital with five on guards. They handcuffed me. They made me stand out at eight degrees. And guess what University Hospital said? This man has zero alcohol in his system. This man has zero uh, any illegal stuff in his body. He's clean as a whistle. And at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, they said, you can go. So, <laughs> but not, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, no Mayor, you were, so you were handcuffed. You were, you were outside for a long time. Oh, if oh, oh, if, hey, you, if hey. you weren't Sharp James, would, would, would that have happened? Did this happen because you are Mayor Sharp James? It, it happened, Dave, let's be honest about it, because I'm running for office and the city has their team. And when they looked in that car with my safety belt on, say, this is Sharp James, they made the call. When I stepped out of that car, Dave, they put their hands behind my back, uh, handcuffed me. I stood outside. It was 18 degrees Saturday night. And then they threw me locked up in the backseat of a police car, you know, like a birdcage. Now, Dave, they, they, they debate. Well, Sharp, you were detained. You were not arrested. Of course, I wasn't arrested. They took me to the hospital hoping I had substance abuse, hoping I had alcohol. But once again, at 3.45 a.m. in the morning, the doctor and the nurse at the hospital said, this man is clean as a whistle, no alcohol, no drugs in the system. I went walked out of University Hospital at 
3.30 or 3.45 a.m. Who was there, Mayor, Mayor Mayor Sharp James? Who who was there at the scene during that 35, 40 minutes that you were there before you got it, were taken to the hospital? Uh, I mean, did, did you get the top levels of the police department? Were any city officials there <laughs> yeah, also? I've been reading this statement. All I'm saying, we saw he was, he was uh, we were protecting himself uh, from the police, uh, protecting me from police. That's what the police director and all of them said. They were all, all the officials said it. Once Sharp James did an accident, the world in Newark, the top brass and everyone comes and stand by. And I was there saying, help, take my handcuffs off. They're too tight. Help, uh, please don't do it. Help, I'm freezing. Help, I'm cold. Don't put me in the car. I have claustrophobia. Were any of the elected officials there? I mean, did you get any real? I don't want, they, I'm, 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 you know what? I love the police. I'm the mayor who hired 1,600 police officers. I'm the mayor who brought Joe Santiago as police director, who reduced crime by 52%, auto theft by 62%, and they stole him away as director of the New Jersey police because he was so great. So I love the police. Fair enough. Security is the number one priority in any city. So may- I only ask the question, and I'm getting beat up because I ask the question. Is it proper procedure for an individual in a car accident to be handcuffed, locked up in the rear of a police car? Is that normal procedure? And then to send to the hospital with five armed police officers. As a question, Dave, I'm not against the police. I love the police. So, Mayor, I'm speaking with Mayor Sharp James. Before we get to the end, I want, I want to ask you a couple more questions. I mean, you are you're 85. You've had a story career. Why do you want to return to public office? Why do you want to run again? Why do you want to put your, yourself through that? Well, first, as I indicated, I love Newark. I want to serve the city. I believe I have a wealth of dollars. But Loretta Weinberg, you, you know how great uh, a senator who just is going to the Terrific. private sector is 86 years old, older than Sharp James. Uh, Ronald Reagan, when he became president, he was 76 with the whole United States on his shoulder. So maybe I can handle the city of Newark. And then my favorite, David, my favorite one, the Honorable Mayor Vito uh, Perillo, 97 years old, reelected in Tenton Falls, New Jersey. I'm not there yet. And I think we would all say, many people would say, we are old but not cold. You know, and you, 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 you seem like you still have uh, have a lot left to do. I want, I want to ask you about Cory Booker. Senator Booker will be, be on my show uh, after you. <laughs> now you're getting me in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to get in trouble. I mean, you hey, look. Hey, hey, honest, the, the Bible says truth will set you free, David, and I'm going to try to be truthful on any question you pose, and I appreciate that. Thank and, you. And, and look, Mayor, Mayor Booker, you supported Mayor Booker for U.S. Senate. You supported you him know, for, for president. I'm glad That's... you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that. All the things that happened to me when he did street fight and made me a buffoon, when he made me uh, boss daily uh, of Chicago, uh, boss Haig of Jersey City, when he painted me as a moron, moron and everything, when he ran, I still supported him because in my in my heart, he was well qualified. So, so hey, I forgot all the scars I had. And I got them. <laughs> hey, I got what? Most of my we all do. We all do. Don't let me pull off my shirt and throw you, David. I have keloids all down. <laughs>
Mayor Sharp James, former mayor of Newark, maybe future city councilman of Newark. I I thank you for coming on. I thank you for your you know you were you were uh, you were forthcoming on every question that I asked, and I appreciate it. And I hope as this campaign goes on, you'll be back, and we'll get to talk some more. And please give my best regards to my senator, the United States Senator Cory Booker. Thank you, thank you, Mayor Sharp James, and we will be right back. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Cory Booker is a three-term United States senator from New Jersey. He's a former mayor of Newark. Senator, welcome back. Uh, thank you very much. Small correction. Uh, I've been in the Senate for eight years. You make me sound like I'm an 18-year guy. <laughs> see, see, and that's, that's how I'm doing the math. You were 13 was the first term, then 14, and then right, 20. I'm so, elected to, yeah. to finish a small amount of one year of Lottenberg's term. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to readjust my math. I'll do that for you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Senator, Justice Stephen Breyer has announced his retirement. That leaves President Biden with a, a small window of time to fill this seat between the uh, now and the midterm elections. I mean, Senator, were, was there a part of you that was a little relieved to see the retirement right now rather than risk Democrats having less control in the Senate in the future? No, I mean, that wasn't my focus at all. I, I I had a sense it was going to happen, and it did. And I was with the president last night, in fact, um, with the rest of the Judiciary Committee, him and the vice president, discussing what was clear that the president takes this as a, I would even say, a sacred responsibility. Remember, he was a chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He's been through these processes from many different sort of perspectives as a vice president, as a uh, chairman of the committee, Judiciary Committee, and now as president of the United States. So. I'm grateful that he has the right focus and the right emphasis on the process. And I think it's going to have a tremendous outcome when he ultimately nominates someone for the court. You know, this week I, I listened to a recording from the LBJ library. It was a it was a phone call between President Johnson and Governor Richard Hughes, 1964. I guess that makes me it means I'm, I am actually a bigger nerd than you are. At least on the, <laughs> when it when it comes to these things, but but this call was from three weeks before the Democratic convention. LBJ want to know the governor's thoughts on running mates. So does does President Biden do this? Does he does he solicit recommendations from senators on who they'd like to see him pick? He explicitly asked members to share with him if they had any names for consideration. Yeah, we're, so we're just asked. Yeah, excuse me. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, so he, he explicitly asked for people to give names. I, I know the people in the White House Counsel's Office. I know his leadership team. I, I trust that they are um, evaluating uh, dozens and dozens of candidates. And so I, I, I did not submit any names uh, specifically, but talked to them more about values. And, um, you know, we need we need a lot of faith to be restored into our, our, our court system and Somebody that could come in that could be a uniter and has integrity, not to mention just mastery of the law and judicial temperament necessary to to really be a great uh, judge on the Supreme Court. What do you think the temperature is in the United States Senate? You are on the Judiciary Committee uh, for for moving this nomination along without without any games or or, or hoopla. Uh, look, I I. Anticipate that that these are 
really very important, high-consequence positions. And so I know my colleagues on both sides of the aisle and the Judiciary Committee, everybody's going to do their homework, and I'm sure will come with their particular perspective. So this is not easy. Elections for president are not easy. Confirmations for circuit court justices are not easy. I would even say Senate seats, uh, those campaigns are never easy. These are important things, and they're understandably are different views. But I, I have a lot of confidence that the president's nominee will be confirmed uh, and will be will be a great jurist that history will look back on uh, with pride. And, and Senator, I'm speaking with United States Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, uh, who's been in the United States Senate for eight years. Uh, assuming the president names a black woman to the court, that is, that is what he has indicated. Uh, this would be the first uh, black Democratic justice since Thurgood Marshall. So, Senator, what do you imagine it might feel like for you to cast that vote in the United States Senate? Well, it'll be yet another moment that New Jersey's afforded me that will be deeply moving. There, there have been 115 Supreme Court justices in the history of the United States, 115, and 107 of them have been white men. And we know, I mean, Harvard Business School, study after study, big consulting firms like McKinsey, just tell the simple truth that diverse teams are better teams, more successful teams, people with diverse backgrounds, different lived experiences. But we have had shaping the most consequential body, perhaps for our culture or for our laws, um, to be dominated by a, a narrow band of the diversity of our country, gender diversity, religious diversity, racial diversity. And so this is an important moment for all of us to get new perspectives on the court that just have never been there before. And this is a powerful moment. And to be on the Senate floor again and to be able to cast such a consequential vote, um, it's going to be really a meaningful moment in my life. And I'm just, again, grateful to New Jersey for affording it to me. And Senator Joe Biden's job approval numbers, I mean, they're, they're, they're not good right now. He's, he's upside down. I, I saw a CNN poll this week. It was, it was 42 approved, 57 disapproved. And that is, that's not, uh, uh, that, that's fairly typical for a president going into their first midterms. I mean, may, maybe not at 57, but, but presidents usually take a little while to ramp up. But why isn't Joe Biden more popular with Americans right now? I, I, you know, look, it is not hard to, to, it's not easy to lead through crisis. Joe Biden has taken a crisis we haven't seen in this country in a century, a global pandemic. Just 13 months ago, we were losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs a month. But there wasn't one needle, one person that had received the vaccine in the entire country. Businesses were going out of business left and right. Schools were closed and hospitals were overrun. And he has stood in the saddle, made tough calls, but gotten 70 plus percent of our population uh, vaccinated, gotten schools back open all across the country. Not only did he get our economy out of the ditch, but created, got more jobs back. If you just add the job numbers, six to seven million jobs, more than every Republican president before him combined. And then just by the way, just for kicks, he passes the biggest infrastructure bill for our roads and our bridges and our broadband, then a bigger infrastructure package than any president in the history of America that's going to create millions and millions of more jobs. 
So I, I don't think the president last night looked like somebody who was concerned about his approval rating. What he wanted to talk to about what he swore an oath to do, which is to serve the American public. Because you and I are both students of history. We know other presidents. There's a guy named Ronald Reagan who in, was suffering horrible numbers in his first year and a half. He was. He was. So, so I think the best politics for the president is to keep doing good things for the people. And I mean, you're you're in Washington every week, Senator Booker. I mean, you. So I don't have to tell you. You know, no matter what side you're on, things things aren't great. I mean, Democrats are are having trouble keeping Joe Manchin and and and, and Kristen Cinema on the reservation. I mean, Republicans are eating their young these days. Censoring Liz Cheney, Marjorie Taylor Greene, thinking maybe Kevin McCarthy's not conservative enough. How worried are you about? the future of this country and the ability to to get everything back on track? Well, I have faith in America. I really do. We are a country that has seen difficult times before. And at the end of the day, I have faith in us, but I'm not, that's not to say that I don't, I discount or don't worry right now about the levels of contempt Americans have for other Americans. Forget our politics. Just we're seeing more and more tribalism and rancor and, uh, even just bad signs, levels of hate crimes going up, violence and violent threats against judges going up four or five fold against elected leaders at every level, school board members. We have to understand that the thing that best advances America and helps us in times of crisis or to do things from beat the Nazis to go to the moon is our ability to come together, work together, to understand that we are one nation under God. And that we need to be more indivisible. So, you know this, I ran a presidential campaign with that as my team. And I still still see it as one of the missions I have in Washington, because I do work across the aisle. I do have real friends, and I'm trying to do my best to deliver for New Jersey in bipartisan ways. And I'm proud that we've, my team has got a lot of wins and to show that it's possible. But all of us have to take a responsibility. We can't just point fingers somebody of a different party and not take responsibility ourselves to exhibiting the grace, reaching out to people, finding common cause and common ground. And, and I'm speaking with Cory Booker, U.S. Senator from New Jersey. I, I, I want to ask you about the Ukraine. And, and, and just to be clear and, and completely transparent with our listeners, we uh, Senator Booker and I are recording this interview on Friday for Saturday's show, so I know that the situation is is changing by the moment. But, but Senator, we've we've seen these satellite images this week. It shows Russia's positioning of troops, military equipment, different positions around Ukraine. Uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Look, we are we are in a crisis right now. I've, I've been to not just to Ukraine, but to eastern Ukraine, the Donbass region that is most in crisis, met with military leaders, seeing the sense of desire, fierce desire to preserve themselves as a free democracy. And it's a crisis. We know that the State Department is warning about the possibility of an imminent attack. And this could be one of the greatest conflicts in Europe since maybe Bosnia or even the last world war, we don't know what this could trigger in terms of an escalation. I'm, I'm grateful that we're seeing bipartisan support. My senior Senator Bob Menendez and his ranking Republican member, uh, Senator Risch, are taking real steps to keep our Congress together in support of the president's efforts 
uh, to deter the Russians uh, uh, from taking uh, any kind of action threatening historic levels of sanctions. I, I respect the way our president has been able to unite the European Union and in particular NATO countries uh, to join us in that fierce stand um, uh, uh, of threatening real consequences uh, so that Putin has a lot of good reasons not to take those steps. But we can't fool ourselves. Putin has invaded Georgia. He's taken the Crimea. He has shown uh, consistent efforts to uh, expand the reach of his authoritarian regime. And uh, we are in a dangerous position right now. And again, I'm working with my colleagues to do everything we can to avoid uh, this kind of conflict and this kind of bloodshed. And, and Senator, I mean, we're, I, before we run out of time, I want to ask you about a, a national issue that I know is of, of important to you and uh, importance to you, and that's that's food security. You uh, you worked on this when you were mayor, and last year you switched to the Senate Agriculture Committee. That is that is not a, an assignment a Jersey guy usually wants, but but you sought that out because you wanted to work on food security issues. Uh, how is that going? How is that committee assignment going for you? You know, it's important for our state. Most people don't realize one of our top five industries is agriculture, from blueberries to cranberries uh, to eggplants. And more than that, I, I live in Newark, New Jersey, and I see, I think what a lot of parents and families don't understand is that there's great availability to highly processed, empty nutrition foods, uh, but not enough access to healthy quality uh, foods and produce. You walk into a corner grocery store and a Twinkie product is cheaper than an apple because we we subsidize everything in that Twinkie and don't subsidize the apple. Only 2% of our agricultural subsidies go to fruits and vegetables, which we are told we should eat the majority of in our diet. We're surrounded by fast food restaurants who, again, benefit from all kind of ag subsidies. And as a result, half of Americans now, it's astounding, have diabetes or prediabetes. And so we have a broken food system. Farmers are suffering, going out of business uh, at, at astonishing rates, three times the suicide rates um, uh, as big corporations begin to consolidate our food industry in almost monopolistic fashion. It's hurting our environment. It's doing torturous things to animals as we raise livestock in a way that would be seen as a perversion to our ancestors just two or three generations ago. We, we, we are suffering with climate change crises, and even as it we're in a pandemic, people don't realize this, but medical scientists all across the world say the biggest, one of the biggest threats to humanity is antibiotic-resistant strains that are being virtually bred in the way we use half of our antibiotics to raise animals before they get sick. We just inject them, and tens of thousands of Americans die every year to these antibiotic-resistant strains. So we have real crises in our food system, and I'm proud to, that New Jersey's given me the chance to be one of the disruptors in this space and to begin to demand change for our health, for our families, for the economic well-being of food workers and, and family farmers, for our environment, for our ecology, and even uh, to, so that we're raising animals in the ways that we imagine they're being raised in more humane conditions. And I'm speaking with Senator Booker. You you. You're talking about the importance of agriculture in New Jersey, and 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 I I've stuck pretty much to policy on this, but you you know me, so you know I have to I have to do a, a political question. Uh, there is there is speculation again that you might run for governor of New Jersey in 2025. Is is that 
something you might consider? Uh, no, I'm focused on, on the job I have, and I'm focused on running for re-election. Gosh, it seems so far from now because I just got re-elected, but in 2026. And I, I, we just re-elected a governor. I, I've given my full support to him in the second term to partnering with him. I was with him today here in Newark, New Jersey, vice presidential visit to celebrate what? That we, faster than any other place in America, got every single lead pipe out of the ground leading into uh, places where families and, or multifamily units or our children live. And so this was something we all did together with a lot of credit to the local leaders here in Newark. And I just love my job that I can actually do things that produce real results that affect lives. I've got a great job, and I thank New Jersey every day for giving me the chance to do it. U.S. Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, it is, I mean, it is always a pleasure to speak to you, and, and thank you for coming on again. Thank you for having me. All the best to you. You too. Thank you. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. So welcome back, everybody. I, I had some things that I was going to talk about, but but I've got a treat, and that is that Mayor Sharp James is willing to stay on with me and talk some more. And if, and if you have a chance to talk to Sharp James, nobody should ever turn that down. Mayor, thanks for coming back. My pleasure. So I want to I want to talk to you. We talked early on in 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 the segment that you were in uh, earlier this show about you know you've witnessed a lot of history. You you, you since winning office in in 1970. Uh, you know I'm a you know that I I fashion myself as a student of political history. I I love I love the old stories. I think it's important for everybody to hear them uh, so that they can learn the lessons of the past as they, as they move forward. So I'm hoping let's I want to talk to you about about what you've seen uh, over over more than 50 years in Newark politics. Let's if, if, if we could, well, maybe a little memory lane. Tell me tell me about Hugh Adnizio. I didn't know Hugh Adnizio. He was he was gone before I got involved. Tell me tell me about Mayor Adnizio. Well, when Hugh was in office, uh, you won because there was an Irish fight, Italian fight and a surgeon African-American community. And in order for the Italians to defeat the Irish, uh, uh, he and he had, was the first to bring African-Americans into leadership position in the government. Uh, uh, Jenny Lemon, uh, 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 the, uh, all of those people, Calvin's West, uh, former thing, uh, uh, Larry Stalks, that famous African American woman who was in there. Right. Uh, so he was clever enough to join with the Af- this rising African American community from the South to defeat the Irish. And then, of course, <laughs> now that he's in power, you have uh, in 1970 was called the Black and Puerto Rican Convention, where they said, wait a minute. Uh, we sided with uh, Hugh Jad and Izzy on the Italian community, and we had a majority population, but we're getting mere crumbs from the table. So we created that Black and Puerto Rican convention where <laughs> there's going to be enforcement. We will pick the African-Americans who run for office because we do not want them to divide the votes. And then we had Big Apple. He weighed about 450 pounds. He used to knock the horses out in the slaughterhouse. So <laughs> Anyone go against the black and Port, the, the black and Puerto Rican convention, you got to deal with Big Apple. In fact, 
Uh, they tell a story where a police officer pulled up one time and pulled a gun on him. He said, son, I don't know what you're going to do with that pistol because it's not going through me, but I'm going to go through you. <laughs> so who is so now, it? Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Now go ahead. we had the black and Puerto Rican convention where I was a member. I was wearing my Tom McCann black and white shoes, had an afro, an ugly afro, and I used to wear plaid pants and a uh, uh, a checkered pink shirt. And Earl Harris, who was the dean of politics, I remember him. I remember Earl Harris. Who brought, Essex, who brought Essex County College to Essex County, where they wanted to put it out in the boondock. He said, Sharp, you look like Bozo the Clown. So Bozo the Clown went into the convention with Ken Gibson. They had the Community's Choice team. And I was lucky. I, let's be honest. I won on the coattails of Mayor Kenneth Gibson. And for 16 years, 16 years, I was his strongest supporter on the city council. And then, of course, people started saying, hey, Chuck, uh, 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 when are you going to run? Because I was the athletic director at Essex County College. I was a community activist. Uh, 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 when are you going to run? And I was offended by that because we loved Ken Gibson. He wore Newark on his sleeve. He was the, he was, the, he was politics. He was, he was the first one to say politics is not a blood sport. It's a gentleman's sport, and that's what he was. And the question wouldn't go away. Sharp, when are you going to run? When are you going to run? So finally, under the pressure, and Ken had been in office 16 years, which we felt was like 30 years, I formed Newark needs uh, a, a sharp change. And it was the hardest decision of my life to run against my mentor, my confidant, my friend. But let me tell you one story that I always cry about. The first phone call. First phone call I received after the, defeating the uh, unbeatable foe, my unbeatable foe, was from Ken Gibson. He said, Sharp, be in my office 9 a.m. I'm going to make you a good mayor. Tears ran down my eyes. And, and, and I was wow. in there the next day, and he gave me all these do's and don'ts. And all the things. he said, I'm taking you to uh, Puerto Rico and having a United States Conference of Mayors meeting. you got to meet these guys. And he introduced me there. One guy said, why are you bringing this Mary Leck around, Ken? You, he defeated you. Get him out of the room. And Ken pointed a finger at him and said, stop. I lost. But Newark must win. Help him become a good mayor. So you have to cry over Ken Gibson years. It, it, Newark was not a blood sport during Ken's 16 years in office. And I want to believe, because I'm his mentor, Newark was not a blood sport during the 20 years that I was able to serve. And, so during and, your uh, during your twenty years, Mayor, I mean you were you know, you were you were mayor, you were also in the state senate. I mean you 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 used to walk into the White House, you walked city. into the governor's office. You know, who 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 were your favorites? Who were the people well, that well, you, you have well, the that's a good question. Tom King is everybody's governor. Now I dealt with Florio, I dealt with Brendan Brendan Byrne who played tennis with him. Uh, uh, Florio, uh, 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 even Bill Cahill, uh, way back when. Uh, but I'm, I, I, but I'm, I'm saying I go back to well, Burn when he was standing outside begging to get reelected. Oh, <laughs> when they when they, when I think Roe ran again, they they want him in. He's standing outside saying, you know, he did the thing that most politicians don't do: go where your enemies are and say, "Here I am. I I I, I need your support." But anyway, we. Jim McGreevy, of course, was one of my favorites because uh, he had been in the assembly. Uh, when I was there, we, we were both. I was a senator. Uh, he was there. 
and, and he was a people person. You know, that, but the one that is always and then hold it, I forgot my uh, uh, Whitman uh, 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 Todd, our, our governor. She came to Newark, uh, uh, worked with people. She did everything, and 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 even when you know that incident where she patted down an African American man. Uh, uh, accused of, uh, of of drugs or, or, or lacking in child support, she didn't lose her popularity because she was just open. She was open. She would meet. She'd walk. The, I, I remember walking the streets of Mulberry Street with her in Newark, right. and she would be picking up. And I think how it was the other Todd family was the one who created the Green Program in Newark, where they, they say one of her relatives flew over in a plane. You know, we talked about Senator Cory Booker and Newark being uh, the state of New Jersey being green and agriculture. They say it was a Todd family uh, that created that. I think they call it the Green Acre Pro, whatever it was. Webster Todd, yes, that's true. And and I'm speaking with Mayor Sharp James, and and uh, one governor you didn't mention is is Christopher. You're not listing him on, well, on your oh, your list of governors. You know, that's interesting. That uh, and you get on. And you and I, but you and I both probably probably are, are in a in, in a relatively you know, same place on that one. So, by the way, when uh, uh, he one day I was standing on a corner and he was going, he was in this is after, and he was turning the corner, uh, going to be the prosecutor, and he saw me standing on the corner. He stopped his car. And I told him I had a, a a pension problem, and he told me how to re, re, resolve how to solve that problem. But let's be honest now. You, let's be honest. If you get a phone call from a a mayor elect of Newark and says Sharp James might run for governor, uh, Sharp James might even run for reelection as mayor. Uh, uh, I want you to investigate uh, Sharp James with my help. Now, that's Mary Lett Cory Booker, who tried to destroy me with that uh, street fight documentary. Wasn't well, a documentary. If you, if it's your friend uh, Marshall Curry making the film, if it's your confidant Marshall Curry making the film, if you paying uh, uh, Marshall Curry and you're the editor and the star of, of that film, and you and you are Mother Teresa. And the other person is a buffoon. Uh, that's not a documentary. That's a political thing to destroy the character of Sharp James. That has been the history in no. So, so, Mayor James, you're, you're. I mean, this is this is. I mean, we're we're looking at going into in, into the future, and and you're looking at returning to office. And you've made your you've made your peace to a point with Cory Booker. And like I said earlier, you, you backed him for U.S. Senate. You you endorsed him for president. I I I I'm. I'm I'm religious. God, uh, uh, as a Christian soldier, I am obligated to forget the arrows, the daggers, and the and the stain of me at two brutus. I am obligated as a Christian soldier to forget that. I mean, well, you don't forget it, but I don't hold it as a grudge. I understand politics. But, well, Mayor Sharp James, former and Newark mayor, call, way, legend of New Jersey politics. I, mayor, I, I, I thank you. Sure. We're, we're out of time, but I, I thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for coming back. And let's let's talk soon as you, you get ready to continue your race for a comeback in Newark. And everybody, thank you for listening. This is David Wildstein, and you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.